think I'm live. I had this all set up last night. I was so happy that I figured it out supposedly better than I had the week before, but evidently I had it. So I'm going to give y'all a minute to hop on here. Let's see if this is actually working now on Rumble. Um, this is technology. It's great when it actually works. So let's see. Last time y'all were able to see me and I didn't know that you were. So let's just give this a second. Hello world. I hate this part. <laughs> I just I just want to focus on God stuff. I didn't know I had to know about technology. Okay, that's okay. I'm thankful for it because it does allow me to connect with y'all. Um eventually. I'm not seeing myself on here yet. So So if you're actually watching me and this is working, you're probably laughing at me and that's okay. You need a laugh. We need more laughter in our lives. And if I can be the reason you're laughing right now, then that's great. I'll just go ahead and laugh at myself too. Um, just waiting on this to show up. I think I'm live, but I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see me. So... Oh gosh. Okay. I might have to get someone to uh, text with me. Who can I reach out to? Call Grace and Lou. <laughs> okay. 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 Sassy. This is hilarious. Um, Let's see. Here we go. We're going to ask in real time my daughter if she can find me online. Hey, Ja. I am thinking I'm live right now, but I'm not sure. Can you please go to our Rumble channel and see if I am? <laughs> this is so bad. I'm, I might be giving people a really great laugh right now, so... You know. I did such a good job last night, like getting this all set up and I texted people this morning, the link, and now I'm, I just don't see it on my phone, on my rumble. <laughs> okay. All right. Love you. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I could give 72 of you a really good laugh. All right. Let me get started. Bye, sweetie. I love you.
Okay, good. All right. Well, my daughter says that uh, we are live. So here we go. I'm really excited about what I want to share with you. Um, I feel just the Holy Spirit on this. And I, I, I think that it's going to be really important for us uh, as we enter into this week. Um, you know, there's so many rumors out there. And honestly, you know, the sources that we find ourselves kind of drawn to and resonate with us and what we feel like the Holy Spirit's already showing us. I say us, Johnny and myself. Um, I, these sources, I, we won't really know if it was rumor until after the fact. And if there are things that are happening behind the scenes in our nation, um, that are being led strategically by people that are, you know, working a plan to rescue us from, um, I don't even want to go into the details of it, but, you know, if you know, you know, then they're not going to tell us exact dates. They're not going to tell us exact times because then um, those who don't need to know would know. And so um, I find myself looking back and in some ways feeling foolish because when I started Choose Love um, every like five days a week on live um, a couple of years ago, I really felt at the time things were so imminent, like any days that we were going to have this major shift that I know, I know, like I know the things that I know, I know a major shift is coming. And I, I think I, I've, I've talked to most every person that I've talked to agrees that there is some major shift coming. There is a great reveal of what we have been um, under. And with that great reveal becomes an awakening to um, not just like evil and what evil has been up to and the agenda that evil has had, um, ultimately Satan, but an awakening to who God is in our midst. And there's a story um, from the Bible that I want to get into a little bit. And I felt like it's such a, a parallel picture in some ways of where we are right now and where we're headed. And, you know, I said I felt foolish because this is like the boy who cried wolf for the last couple of years, like any moment now, <laughs> you know. Um, but on the other hand, the longer it takes, the more I realize the longer it it needs to take. It has needed to take. That being said, I'm still here to tell you that I know that justice is being birthed. I know that we are getting closer and my sense kind of lines up with some of the rumors that I've heard, which is headed into the election that we have literally tomorrow. Um, there is going to be some radical shift, radical change, and some shaking, and not um, not anything that should um, that we that we would align with fear, but something you know, a, an unfolding that is very sobering, but long waited for, right? A relief. 
And um, I know I keep comparing this to like a birth, but it's, that's just, that's, that's how I see it. That's how it lines up with what I've experienced in the natural and birth. You know, you feel like at the end, I'm never going to have this baby. I thought I was going to have it yesterday. I thought I was going to have it last week. I thought, it, you know, I thought, I thought, I thought, but it still comes, you know, and there's still, um, there's still a labor and a delivery. There is still a labor and a delivery right now. So I'm going to jump in now and just kind of let you in on how I see this lining up with the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel 17. And I know Johnny spoke into this some last week on his Elijah Streams program with Steve Schultz. And so um, if this resonates with you, you may want to go back if you haven't already watched it um, and watch that episode. Um, but this is kind of a different take on the same thing. Um, so let's see how I want to jump in here. So in this time of history, back um, when Goliath showed up on the scene, just to remind you, refresh your memory in case you you haven't you know been in this story for a while, you had the prophet Samuel, and this all comes from First Samuel um, 17. And the chapters leading up to it. You have this prophet Samuel who has, you know, this profound relationship with God and he is living and speaking into a time in history where um, there is a huge shift that needs to happen. And that's about to happen. They've had um, Israel has had Kings that, um, they longed for, they wanted, they got Saul and Saul was not working out for them. And this really grieved Samuel when he found, found out like, um, and yet there's also a real enemy that they were standing, needing to stand against. And at the time it was the Philistines. There were others as well, but the Philistines were, you know, really, um, tormenting them at this time. And so on all fronts, there was, there was difficulty. I think of, you know, for our purposes, um, Samuel, the prophet kind of representing, um, people who are awake right now, um, who are in, in some level of understanding with the Lord of what needs to take place. You know, and no, none of us know it all. There's no hierarchy here. I'm, I'm not trying to say that, you know, there's some that are and some that aren't. We're all varying degrees of deceived, in my opinion, you know, and and we have to have a lot of patience with ourselves because God does and with others and wherever they're at and their um, levels of deception, you know, I mean, because God does. We're all very much in process. So Samuel, here he is. He's in communication with the Lord about the big picture of what's going on around him. He's aware of the heart of the people. He's aware of the, the enemy. He's aware of the leadership. Um, and for them, the leadership at the time, the king would, would encompass both, you know, for for a prophetic picture here would encompass both church leadership 
and governmental leadership because the king was supposed to be, you know, in some level, both because he was supposed to be a godly king, a king who walked with God and did things God's way that represented the kingdom, you know, to to the citizens of Israel or Judah. And uh, so the enemy during this time, you know, cut to the chase, we know what happens. The enemy was eradicated. Okay. The Philistines, starting with Goliath, was eradicated by David. Um, we also know that through that shift, David was positioned, he was anointed and positioned to become the next king after Saul. So um, it wasn't an instantaneous when he was anointed and woke up to the understanding that he was called to rule and reign. And in his lifetime, it wasn't an instantaneous, okay, now I'm in charge. It was um, a slow unfolding. It was a slow shift, but yet it was a sure shift. And David was also... Um, used by the Lord to take the enemy out, but to also advance the kingdom by being positioned for his uh, destiny, his kingdom assignment. I believe we are in the midst of that right now. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, um, the Lord said, I have provided myself a king. He was having a conversation with Samuel and he was saying like, I'm, I am officially in the process of rejecting Saul as king. You need to know that you need to understand the narrative. You need to understand the big picture and Samuel, you need to align with what I'm doing because you're a part of making this shift happen. And he, he, he basically said, I, y'all have chosen a king. And this is where we get the scripture that says, um, you know, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And that is from verse seven of chapter 16. And he says, basically, you know, I, I need you to understand that I'm, I can provide for myself. And this this stirs up so many scriptural memories for me. I think about how he provided for himself, um, you know, when he asked um, Isaac to sacrifice his son and he provided for himself the ram. And then fast forward, of course, to Jesus. He provided for himself so that he could have relationship with us, with nothing between us. He provided for himself his son. And this is what God does. This is, you know, we talk about the knowledge of God and, you know, what is life except for we grow in the knowledge of who he is and what he's like. So here's an opportunity to learn something about God. God provides for himself. And guess what? For what is next, he has provided for himself you and me. Just like he chose and anointed David because, why did he choose and anoint David? Why did he provide for himself David as king to take them to the next season that he had for them? He chose him 
because of his heart and because of what he and David had together. And I believe that the Lord is choosing you and choosing me right now to, to, to be the solution to provide. We are the provided solution to get us, to bring us through this shift and to sustain us as a world, as a society in this shift. And that's what, that's what we see happen with David. David was used to bring the shift. He went out, he faced Goliath, he brought Goliath down. I'm going to go into that story here in a second. And then he also was used to sustain the shift that had happened. Fast forward, eventually he is put in position of king over all of Israel. And, you know, historically, this is, this is still reverberating today. There's still repercussions, good ones in our world because David was used by God to bring that shift and then to sustain the shift that happened. All right. So um, I'm going to go through a little bit of just some highlights of this story. First Samuel 14, verse 52, there was a fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. Okay, so Saul began amassing the people that would eventually become David's mighty men, who would be a part, who would be led by David to do these great exploits for the kingdom of Israel and, and basically the kingdom of God. I believe that is happening right now. I believe that there are people that are waking up who, you know, some of them are still cowards. These people that Saul began to bring to himself and gather to himself to be men of war um, were the same people that when David showed up on the battlefield and discovered this giant that was taunting them, they had been there for 40 days and 40 nights, an entire army of men that had everything they needed to be able to take out, not just Goliath, but the entire Philistine army. They, the most important thing is that they had God, right? They, they had God like David had God. He was for them as a people. He was waiting on any of them to stand up. So my point is these men were in process they were under Saul's leadership. Eventually, they end up under David's leadership. Same men, cowards under one, and wise, supernaturally empowered um, men who did incredible things that you read about through Psalms and other books of the Old Testament. Um there's some of David's, I mean, Johnny's favorite stories. He loves to tell these stories. I almost had him on here with me this morning just to tell some of them. But he likes to tell how they, you know, like took out hundreds of men with their bare hands or one spear or whatever and defended a whole field, etc. These were the same men that were in the cave with David. You know, they, they, 
they did life with him. They became his comrades. And so we are in the process right now of <laughs> the shift that's happening on so many levels. This particular part of the shift, I want I don't, to, I don't know how to even put into words. It's like our tribe has not been defined yet. Who we're going to move forward with in the years to come and advance God's better ways of doing things with is currently being defined and unfolding. And you can't tell by looking around you right now who that's going to be. You couldn't tell back in the day that these men that Saul were bringing to himself were going to end up being David's mighty men because they looked like cowards in the process. All right. Saul was told by God through Samuel to utterly destroy all the Amalekites, but instead he spared King Agag and some of the animals because they seemed good to him. Um, there is a test that is happening right now. You know, I feel like one of my callings or my anointings is to help people orient themselves to, to what's going on. Um, and I, I, I do it in a different way. You know, some people are called to do that uh, prophetically, like thus saith the Lord. Some people are called to do that by giving you actual, you know, statistics, information, um, highlights of what's happening in the news, etc. For me, I'm just discovering this myself. So excuse me while I try to put it into words, but I, I find myself using that word a lot of orienting or reorienting. And I've done that for, for several years now. It's like we can get um, our soul and our spirit can, can get kind of moved like, um, sh what is the word I'm looking for? I see things and I don't know how to put them in words. I see us kind of like, uh, like a ball and something hits one side and we spin this way and then we get hit that way and we spin this way. We're, we, we react and we, we find ourselves disoriented because we're, we're feelers, we're sensors, and we, we experience life as it comes at us. And if we don't stop and intentionally orient ourselves or reorient ourselves, we lose our bearings and we continue to feel a lot and sense a lot, but it's out of context. It's out of, okay, what is actually happening and what, why am I sensing this? It's for, it's always for a purpose. And so I, I, I feel a conviction and a passion to help you reorient. And I'm not saying that you're walking around confused or anything like that, but anyway, maybe this is just for me now. Okay. So this is happening right now. We have been as a generation and the generations before us, we have been asked consistently by the Lord in, in our relationship with him as the church and as individuals who make up the church, we've asked, been asked by the Lord to, um, to advance his kingdom, to eradicate evil and the effects of it where we see it, to change the world and to disciple nations. And discipling nations obviously doesn't just look like, you know, telling people, it includes telling people 
um, that there is salvation through Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there any more than Jesus's life was only about that. I mean, Jesus, everywhere he went, he preached, he talked the kingdom. And he left us the Holy Spirit, not just to tell people how to get saved. Like he did that part. That part was accomplished. And he said, you know, basically in my words, partner with the Holy Spirit until the kingdom comes. And until the restoration of all things spoken of by the prophets. Um, so Saul was told by God to utterly destroy. He didn't. He did what he thought was good. There are things that, that we are experiencing the repercussions of right now because we didn't obey. I don't believe God is angry with us. The reason why this is important is because instead of taking responsibility for that, we often want to blame God when we see the repercussions of our disobedience. You know, why is it so hard? Why all the suffering children? Why all the things that are in the process of being revealed that I believe we're going to see um, more than than we we even think um, I just sense that there's, there's more that we're going to find out and we're being told by many sources, there's more that we're going to find out than, than, than we can imagine right now. And so the temptation is going to be as some of those cowards waking up to who we really are, David's mighty men. We're sitting in this place of the 40 days and the 40 nights. We're hearing the enemy taunt. And when you are the army, you know, they represented the army of the living God. They had to be sitting there thinking, maybe even talking among themselves. Where is God? Where is the living God that we're supposed to be representing here? Is he going to let us die? You know, and yet. They didn't utterly destroy the enemy that they were supposed to. If they had, I feel like something would have looked different, even with the Philistines here. And so we want to be aware of that. Our temptation is to blame God for the things that we did not obey. Even Saul um, was told as he got caught by Samuel and Samuel woke up before Saul did to this reality. Hey, you missed it. Like you, you disobeyed an, a, a, a direct order from God. And he finally admitted to it in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. And he said, I feared the people and obeyed their voice out of his own mouth, at least with his mouth, with his words, he took responsibility and I think that's part of what we are awakening to right now is we have to take responsibility, not in a shame kind of based way, but as the church, as the body of Christ, this is where we need to grow up. We were, we were normal for the age that we were, you know, we, we were immature as the body of Christ. Um, and then some of the body of Christ actually you know, we'll find out some of our leadership and people that have supported certain leaders um, 
have knowingly partnered with evil. But right now I'm just talking about, you know, <laughs> saying we want to do something good like like Saul did. I, I'll just I'll save this one, you know, we I'll, I can work with these good sheep, this good animal, the, this this king can, you know, he felt um, what is the word? Uh, the kind of compassion that's not healthy he felt towards this king, probably because he recognized I'm a king. He's a king. I'm not going to slaughter another king. Like I, I, I don't want to do to him what I wouldn't want someone to do to me. And I'll just sacrifice to kind of make, make atonement for that. I'll sacrifice these animals. Um, you know, I'll do some good in here mixed in with it that will cover for my disobedience. And so we've done that as as the church throughout the last however many generations. We've done some good thinking that it would cover for um, some some not good, some disobedience where we did not show up the way we were supposed to because we feared people. There is a fear of the Lord that must come and replace a fear of people. Um, clearly, David is in complete contrast to that. What was it? And this is my big question for today. What was it that allowed God to choose David as to provide David as king for himself? What is it in our hearts and in our relationships with God that will position us to be chosen by God as his provision for what he's doing right now and what, what is to come. Verse seven, the Lord looks at the heart. He's looking at our hearts. What was it about David's heart? You know, one of the things we're seeing here is that, that in contrast, David was not afraid of people. He, he, what mattered to him more than anything else in the world his whole world was God and his relationship with God. And is he pleased with me? And we see that was tested, you know, in the years to come where he did, he did, you know, not prioritize his relationship with God. He prioritized his own desires and he would quickly repent because he knew he had that plumb line within himself of what it felt like. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't a requirement of his heart in order for God to choose him. It wasn't a requirement for his heart to be perfect, but for his heart to be one that had a plumb line in it, a sense of um, God above all else. All right. Um, so here we are. They've, we, we, we've got this picture of leadership that was less than what God wanted in Saul, needed to be removed, replaced, as well as an enemy that needed to be eradicated and dealt with, evil that needed to be brought down. And David was the answer to both. Um, 1 Samuel 17, 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, Goliath, and we know how the story goes, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Um I believe we've been, you know, living this out. The media has been, as Johnny said um, on his live streams episode and in his book that he has, um, what is it called? Superhero, Becoming a Superhero, Pocket Guide to a Life Like David. It's a, a book that we have that Johnny wrote. 
in that he talks about how Goliath represents the media. It's this big mouth that will not stop spewing lies, fears, irrelevant facts, facts outside of the context. You know, he, he Goliath said, you know, I'm going to do this to you and I'm going to do that to you. And um, they were outside of the context that David brought. And in verse 12, the famous two words, now David. And I just want that to ring in your spirit. What, what would that sound like with your name in it? Now, whatever your name is, now Elizabeth. Like when we fully step into the, the full expression of what each one of us has with God, there, there comes this defining time literally in history. Like, like things look different because you are here. You showed up. You are God's provision. Um, again, David, God said about David, I have provided myself a king, a solution. He has provided himself a solution through you. So now you what does it look like when you um, discover how to partner with God in the knowledge of God that you have, that you, who you know him to be? So who did David know him to be? We know from lots of different scripture. We know he was a shepherd. We know that he um, had experiences where he had to overcome the enemy, what the enemy looked like in his world as a shepherd. And you've had to overcome the enemy countless times in your life. That's a big deal. It may not feel like a big deal in the light of the enemy that we are currently facing in the world, but the same God who you learn to partner with to overcome the enemy in your life in the things that you went through is the same God that has chosen you to overcome the enemy in the big picture right now and to be a part of bringing the shift, bringing the change that needs to happen and then helping sustain the change that happens. Like David, he, he was, it was this long drawn out process. He became king. And when he was king, he, he had a leadership role that changed history. And that is what's happening right now. You, have, you are one that God says he is providing for himself a solution to what's going on in the world. So um, again, we know the taunting went on for 40 days and nights. Jesse sent David with food and to check in on his brothers and bring back news. Okay. I brought this up because, you know, when... When David left his home that morning, he'd been doing the shepherd things. He was there with his family, with his dad, who was like business as usual. Yeah, go check on, see what kind of news is happening on the front there. He, it was like this atmosphere. Everybody seemed okay with the enemy just taunting and, and them just kind of waiting it out. And David said, you know, eventually when he shows up there, basically enough is enough. And 
something in his heart said, now is the time. Even though the atmosphere that he was in at home, you know, take some cheese, go get the news, bring it back to me in a little while, business as usual. He goes, he shows up, his brothers are there. They make fun of him as usual. And, um, you know, he shows up with, with what he had with God. He showed up with that heart that we later hear God say of David, he is a man after my own heart. Um, and he makes some, some statements. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Okay. So what does this statement tell us about David's heart? We know that it's David's heart and what God and David had together that allowed him to be chosen as the provision. He was the king that was provided to bring the change and sustain the change. So what we're going to talk right now real quickly about specific things in David's heart and in his relationship with God that I think if you look carefully in your own relationship with God, you can see evidence of the same thing. And I'm, I'm saying this to encourage you um, because the Lord already showed me we've been chosen. You've been chosen. And you need to know why so that you intentionally move those things forward with you and what is next. Okay. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This statement shows us that David saw the bigger picture. Now, he didn't see it until he saw it. He was waking up to it. But once he saw it, he got it. And his life existed in the context of the bigger picture always. So when he was a shepherd and he was in the fields, his life existed in the biggest context of all, me and God, me and God. So he had that. And then when he showed up in real life, standing in front of the enemy and seeing this gap between the leadership, remember Saul represented, and for our scenario here, represented the leadership of the church and the leadership of government. He saw this gap between the big picture that his life existed in and what they were settling for. And so <clears throat> he saw the bigger picture. Then in verse 29, he says, is there not a cause? So he's talking with his brothers who have been, on been there for 40 days and 40 nights and the rest of all the soldiers there looking at him. And he says, is there not a cause? So he had a sense of justice. And I believe that's the same reason why we are being chosen right now. God's been working this into us throughout our lifetimes. The things he's allowed us to go through, the difficult things. Hey, um, it was to help develop in you, in me, the sense of injustice, that plumb line where we go, wait, something is off. This is not okay. What have I settled for? What, what did my family settle for? What did, um, you know, the business that I'm a part of settle for this, every area of culture that I've existed in, there's a sense of injustice that we are arriving at. That's part of why we are being chosen. Uh, verse 37 
David makes a statement. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So he wasn't looking at his slingshot. He wasn't thinking about, you know, I got a lot of practice with this slingshot. It worked for me before. No, he remembered the different scenarios when God empowered him to overcome the enemy that he faced in that moment. Um, and so he had his own personal knowledge of God because of what he and God had been through together. No different for you, no different for me. Um, the next point, verse 39, David refused Saul's armor. So you know how the story goes. Saul was like, here, you know, okay, you're going to go face Goliath. At least put my armor on you and we can assess, you know, there's all kinds of things we can read into that, but not going there. What I'm focusing on here is David's choice for simplicity and for transparency. You know, transparency is I'm not putting on anything to protect myself. I'm not trying to protect. I'm not going into self-preservation mode right now. This is not about me. This is about God taking this enemy out because he is defying. He is coming against God's plan for our nation. God's plan for the world. We're seeing that. The enemy has come against God's plan for the world. And um, there is a simplicity and a transparency that will get us through and cause us to have victory. And it's not self-preservation. <laughs> it is not self-preservation. I, I pray that the leaders of churches get this, that God does a quick last minute work. Um in the leaders of the body of Christ right now and in, in, in pastors across the world that they, they let go of Saul's armor, this temptation to preserve self-preserve whatever reputation or their own church kingdom that they've built. And, and in refusing Saul's armor, David was also embracing simplicity. This is simple. Like to him, it was just really black and white. There is an enemy. God is greater. Let's go. <laughs> you know, um, in verse 39, after uh, seeing and describing all of the, you know, the, um, what do you call it? <laughs> the armor that Goliath had on. If you read further, you see that David actually, um, if I remember correctly, David took that armor off of Goliath afterwards and he kept it. He saved it. I think it was like a trophy to him of the goodness of God, uh, the power of God. But he didn't care about what what Goliath looked like in the moment. It was it, it was irrelevant to him because of the simplicity of how he saw God and God's power over the enemy. But in the face of Goliath, his lies, his armor, he says this, and this is him keeping the narrative straight. This is 
we have to learn to keep the narrative straight. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is the narrative. This is the story. He kept himself oriented to the truth in this very short, brief battle. He kept himself oriented to the truth in this short battle. I feel the Holy Spirit on that. This is going to be a relatively short battle. We feel like it's been long because we've been waiting for the, you know, the final blow to the enemy that we've been awakening to. And when I say final blow, I don't mean that all evil is going to be gone from the earth. This is not the kingdom coming in its fullness. But this is, I believe, the beginning of the kingdom era when we are going to have the ability to push forward um, the heart of God and serve in, in our world in ways we would not have been wanted uh, in the past. We're going to be wanted. People are going to want the sons and daughters of God to show up and bring solutions. Okay, we're not there yet, but in this time period, we have to keep the narrative straight. And the way we cling to truth and the simplicity of what David said here, the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. All right. The reason why we're in the situation that we're in right now and that we're going to see unfold in the next, I believe, several days and month or so, um, it's going to be important that we stay oriented to the truth. The truth is there is an enemy who has defied God. This is a spiritual battle and it's going to look very natural. It's going to look very you know, I'm sure to all of the men watching who had weapons in their hands, who saw the eyes of other men that they were going to have to physically confront and take out, it felt very natural to them. But I mean, this was clearly a spiritual battle. There was a natural battle to play out that mirrored what was going on in the spirit realm. But this is a spiritual battle that we are going through that's about to hit another level here. And that is the truth that we must stay oriented to in the next several days. This is a spiritual battle. It will be tempting to react in our flesh and to, um, to react in our flesh. But this is the time where we have to keep the narrative straight. It is God and him, his character and his nature that the enemy is coming against. So when you get that, you stand up, you let your voice be heard, but you, you don't, um, trying to hear by the spirit right now, you don't come in the same spirit. You cannot come in the same spirit because then you have disconnected yourself from the armies of the living God, right? Um, okay. Verse 47, David, um, 
I believe it was David that said it. Let me see. Verse 47 of chapter 17. Um, yeah, it was David that said, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. I love how he says this day. But what all was, there was so much that happened leading up to that day. And that day, in that moment, it looked completely opposite. Can a nation be saved in a day? I believe we're about to see that, literally. And it might look the complete opposite in the process. But he let the truth be known, and he said um, more of what he was going to do to him. And then he said, then all this assembly will know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. All right. So first of all, what does this tell us about David's heart that we want to make sure our hearts are in the same place? The weapon, our weapon is him. It's him. Our weapon is him. Our greatest strength is him. The knowledge of God, who he is, what he's like. We can lean into him. We can trust him. If it looks the complete opposite, you know, these men who were standing around, they had to be thinking, what the heck? He does, this poor kid, David, doesn't realize God hasn't shown up for 40 days and 40 nights. What makes him think God's going to show up for him now? Right. So they were in this position of having to choose each one of them where their mouths were going to align themselves. Um, I look forward to hearing the stories of all of those men in heaven. Like, what were they thinking? What was it like from their perspective watching this all go down? So David knew the weapon and he knew the character and nature of God. He knew no matter what, he was going to show up. Um, and that doesn't mean that David hadn't hadn't faced his own issues. You know, David could have, when he saw the lion, when he saw the bear, he could have gone into, you know, victim mode himself and not overcome them because he could have thought, well, you know, I don't know if God, like, why did he even let the lion show up? Why did he let the bear show up? He must not love me or my sheep, you know, <laughs> He, he got the narrative straight previously. And there are victories you've had in your life previously that have prepared you for this moment. Um, and then when he says he will give you, speaking to Goliath, he will give you into our hands. He didn't just represent himself. As a leader, he was already leading, meaning he already saw the men around him who were literally making fun of him, his own brothers. He saw the men around him for their potential. He saw the process that they were in of becoming his mighty men. He saw it before it happened. We have to see people by the spirit. We cannot judge people based on where they've been over the last couple of years, who had the vaccine, who didn't, who, you know, stayed at this kind of church or who, um, you know, made fun of us in the process. These are our comrades. Some of them just haven't fully processed to their awakening yet. And it's okay. It's okay. We're, we all get to extend to each other what God has freely extended to us. 
And he said, he will give you into our hands. He thought for his community and his nation. He thought not just the big picture narrative, but he thought of who he represented. And we do not represent Christianity. We do not represent Christians. We represent all children of God, even the ones who don't know that they're his. You wouldn't want anything less than that from a governing official, right? How much more so? We are his ambassadors. So um, we're right at the end here. Verse 52, the Philistines fled. And then it says, now the men of Israel and Judah arose. Okay, these same men who were the cowards before, once they saw this happen, once they saw this happen, there is something that's about to happen that is going to awaken a whole nother level of society. Once they saw this happen, they arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Arose, shouted, and pursued. So arose, they awakened to the truth. All of a sudden, wow, we had authority over this guy the whole time. We can take them all. We have authority over the enemy. So that moment of truth produced in them who they really were. The enemy had held them back, lied to them, convinced them, and could have even convinced David and others that they weren't the mighty men, that they were the cowards. It looked like it for a little while, but it did not define them. The lies that they believed, the deception that they lived under, did not define them. We have to remember that. Um, they arose. They awakened to the truth. They shouted. They responded with their voices. I think that, you know, and this needs to be Holy Spirit led. We're What's radically different now than then is this is not about violence now. It was very much about violence then. It was an Old Testament situation here. We we are not that generation back then. Um, you know, there may be violence from good people against evil people who have been, uh, you know, put in that position and legally are doing that. This is not a time for violence for, you know, across the board uh, citizens here. This is not about us taking arms and having a civil war here by any means. But it is, I believe, going to be about our voices. And our voices are going to be super, super important in the next several days. Number one, our voice to vote. Um, we will vote. We need to vote. No matter what, vote. Because whether there is fraud or not, um, if we don't vote... How will we know that we didn't or shouldn't have won, if that makes sense? You know, um, so we need to vote no matter what. And then whatever happens, we have to be, make our voices heard. And there are ways to be led by the Holy Spirit to make your voice heard without being violent. Um, peaceful ways of making your voice heard. Um, and then it says they pursued the Philistines. So obviously, again, 
for us, pursuit does not look like violence like it did for them, but it means action. It means being on the offense instead of the defense. It means we're not victims. We're not sitting around just letting things happen to us. It means it means taking the enemy out where the enemy is um, has been prevailing and showing up. So I don't know what that looks like. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to give us wisdom and there are going to be wise leaders that will that that we will recognize that we can um, come around and and not live as cowards as we have over the last several years but be on the offense and make the changes that it's finally time to make. All right. So in the end, um, chapter 18, verse five, Saul set David over the men of war. So we see this, this relationship that unfolded between David and his destiny. We see a relationship that unfolded between David and the enemy we see a relationship that unfolded between David and his comrades, those who had been cowarded, cowarding under the enemy, who became literally the ones that were his comrades that advanced God's plans in the earth together at that time. So uh, again, the enemy was eradicated. David was positioned for his destiny and his kingdom assignment, along with many others. And I believe that, um, you know, you're called, you've been anointed by the Lord, like David was positioned, not just for your own kingdom assignment, but to be part of the solution. God has provided for himself, just like he did a King David because of David's heart and what he had with David and their relationship. He has provided for himself, you as a solution, as one who's going to, be a part of bringing the shift and sustaining the shift that we are currently going through that is going to escalate, I believe, um, very quickly in a good way, in a difficult way, but in a way where we're going to keep a hold of truth in the process, all of these truths. So lastly, what do we know about David's heart that made David's heart so um, appealing to the Lord? You know, he was a man after God's own heart. So what are some of the things? I just wrote down a few. Number one, what we know about God's heart. I mean, David's heart is that God was looking at it. Think about that. God's looking at your heart. Oh, that's kind of a relief because in my heart is where I hash things out. And my heart is where um, I'm definitely not perfect. We know that about David's heart. His heart was not perfect. He made some major mistakes, acts of disobedience um, in, when he was king. But um, in that place of God looking at your heart, he understands. He understands what you've wrestled through in life. He understands what you've had to overcome. Like that's where he's looking. That's where he's looking. He's not, he's not watching your, you know, your bank account. He's not watching the areas where you have failed or succeeded. He's watching and looking at your heart. Um, another thing about David's heart, again, they had history together and David's heart was towards the Lord. He was a confident shepherd in what they had. And then he became a confident 
warrior in what they had. And then he became a confident leader, a king in what they had. He understood that his heart was where he met with God, not in, yes, God cared about his actions, but where it was all playing out was in his heart. And that's what qualified him to be provided as king for God. Uh, First Samuel 13, 14 says, um, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. So before God said, I'm providing for myself a king, he sought for himself a man after his own heart. And David was that man. There are things that God is seeking. He's looking for in our generation. And he can find that in you. You're never hidden. You're never so far away or so irrelevant to the world that God doesn't see where what you and he, he have together. Um. He was from the tribe of Judah. We know he was a worshiper and a musician. That was a huge part of his relationship with God is his ability to see and be in awe of who and what God was. Let's don't ever lose that. Things can get so serious that we, um, we forget to be worshipers. We forget to be ones who are in awe of who and how God is and, and express that to him. And minister that to the heart of our Father, to his, to the heart of God. I see you. I worship you. I enjoy you. I love this about you. And I appreciate this about you. And just that thanksgiving that just is the, is the environment of our heart and our relationship with him. Um, that was important, actually, for the transition that he was a part of. Because he didn't automatically, when he took the Philistines out, he didn't automatically become king overnight. He was actually, Saul was so tormented because the Lord set it up that way. And he was tormented. The Lord didn't torment him, but it says he sent a distressing spirit to him. And he was distressed and he was having a hard time finding peace. And so someone suggested, well, why don't you get... Um, this a musician to come and play for you and bring peace to your soul. And it just so happened to be David, who was the one that had taken Goliath out, right? So he ends up, his, his, his intimacy with God and his worship with God, his relationship and how he saw God and how that therefore moved his heart. That's the heart of worship. You see God and it moves you. That, that was what took him into that place of favor and then transitioned him into a place of leadership. There is a transitioning that is going to happen on the tail end of this huge reveal of sons and daughters of God who want to do it his way, being put into places of leadership. And that means serving, right? It's not like lording over anyone. It's not taking dominion over people. It is serving. It's showing up with practical ways of changing the world around us and replacing the areas we've been um, where evil's agenda has ruled with 
the expressions of how much God loves us and how valuable we are to him? What does that look like in medicine? What does that look like in families and education? All that's about to be revealed that's broken and that's so less than what God has for us. Saul is on his way out. He's on his way out, but there is a level of favor that we're going to need in the process. And that favor came in the presence of God as David worshiped. His intimacy with God is what got him into the palace. Um, okay. And two last things, Ruth and Boaz's great grandson. So David was the great grandson of Ruth and Boaz without going into that whole story. You know that their Ruth's life was a picture of the redemption of God, the goodness of God towards someone who who chooses him. Ruth chose God and she ended up getting, you know, way more than she actually needed because that's the goodness of God. And that's what redemption looks like. It's turning our stories around. We're birthing justice. We are birthing the picture of redemption. We're birthing this expression of, yes, God is not silent. He does care. He does care about all of these issues going on. He cares about the suffering. He has something to say about it. He, 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 he says this far and no more. I'm ready to give you the land that you can actually maintain and hold. Um, and so all of that to say redemption, I, I read this in a, a commentary and I didn't write down the name of the person, but give credit to someone else for saying this. Redemption ran in the family. For David, redemption ran in the family. He had a lineage that he was a part of that was that saw the redemptive aspect of who God is in their lineage. And he was a part of that. He, he knew that was that sense of justice. This situation needs to be redeemed. It needs to be made better than it could have been if it didn't happen. And um, lastly, just to reiterate this again, David's heart was not perfect. God is not looking for your heart to be perfect. He just wants he just wants to take what you and he have together, where y'all have been together, the things that he's taught you over the years in your relationship with him. And he wants to bring that forward into what is next. And you've been chosen. You've been anointed. God provided a king for himself. And there's so much in that statement. Think about that. God provided a king for himself. He looked at, he surveyed what was happening at that time in history. And he saw the lack in leadership of government. He saw the lack in leadership of the church. And he chose for himself a man after his own heart to, uh, to take the lead. And it was a process. And David was able to get through that process because of what he and God had together. And he was able to be used by God to bring that change and sustain that change. And that's you and that's me. Because this is the same God, same strategies he uses. He's true to himself. And he's been watching our hearts. And he says, I, let's, let's move forward together with what we have. You're ready. You are ready. This is not a place for fear. Um, 
This is a place where we orient ourselves to truth. And the truth is always rooted in the fact that there is a God who is intentional, who loves us, who wants to show the world that he loves them through us. And where there is love, there can be no fear. So I just declare that over you today, over your spirit. Um, there's some great more just nuggets all in here. Hopefully what, what I've been able to communicate through this um, has, has um, just given you kind of a, a backdrop to see this pattern of how God uses people and how he has positioned you to be used in what is next. And, you know, when God uses us, it's not like somebody using you. It is, it is an excuse for him to be intimate with you, to partner with you, to, for you to lean into him and need him in ways you haven't needed him before. He loves that. I think he loved it when when David showed up and stood in front of Goliath and, and David needed the strength of God in that moment, he needed, um, he needed the clarity that God gave him to see the big picture. There are ways that you're going to need him that you've never needed him before. And he loves it. And he loves providing himself for you so that you can be his provision to the world around you. So I bless you today. I bless you going into this week. Father, I pray for all of my, my friends on here, your sons, your daughters, my brothers, my sisters. I pray for them. God, I ask that you would just shore them up on the inside, that they would feel um, reoriented to who you are and how you are, who you've been for them in the past. You will continue to be for them. I thank you that um, you never leave us, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, you are in our midst. You are in our midst. You say where, where two or three are gathered in your name and we are gathered in your name all across this globe. You are in our midst and you are working and you are doing things that we haven't thought of. We haven't been able to see or even imagine and that doesn't make it any less real. So we lean into that truth. We count on that. We, we put our feet out and we step into that solid place of truth, even though we cannot see it with our natural eyes. And we know that you're there. We know that you are there. You never leave us. You never forsake us. We ask that you would tune our spirit ears to hear you clearly and to have the faith to believe that we can hear you clearly above any other noise, any other voice. I ask Holy Spirit right now that that truth bell that's inside of each one of us, that plumb line, that thing that we compare what we're hearing and sensing to that helps us orient to the truth. God, I, I just... I ask Holy Spirit that you would just go in and any way that 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 bell inside of us is is um, is unable to freely ring and resound with truth. I ask that you would just unencumber it with 
things that just happen that come in and, and shut that, that down and make it not so easy to discern truth. Ask that you would just um, unimpede that truth bell from being able to clearly ring within each one of our spirits. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, we ask that you would give us your love, give us your heart. Give us um, the passion that you have for those that have been um, those that have been the least among us. Those that have questioned to their very core, do I even matter? Does my existence even matter? Those are the ones that you have your eye set on right now. And they're the joy that is set before you. And they are therefore the joy that is set before us. We are fighting for freedom for them, God. I'm not even quite sure what all that means, but I sense it in my spirit. So it is in the name, the power and the blood of Jesus that we, we pray that we communicate with you, Father, that we hear your voice and we speak on your behalf. Remind us of our authority. Amen. Okay, well, we will see you um, next week on Choose Love. Johnny will be on this afternoon, uh, Light of Streams at one o'clock Central Time, and uh, Friday at five is when we do our Up for Discussion. Um, I have a feeling that's going to be a really good one. I don't know what it's about yet. <laughs> And so we'll see you then.